Hello, good morning everybody. Lovely to see you all. Um, so yeah, as Dave just said, my name's Dan, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, you might be more used to seeing me uh, over the last sort of few months or so, just a couple of yards to my right with a guitar in my hand. Um, but this week I'm going to be kind of picking up the next part of our series uh, that we've been looking at uh, since Christmas, I think now, looking at encounters with Jesus that we find in the book of Matthew. Now, my wife, Bethany, and I, we love a good box set. Uh, give me a wave if you love, love watching a box set, love watching something on Netflix. Yeah, of course you do. Um, other subscription services are available, I should add that. Uh, but yeah, we love nothing more than to get the kids in bed, slump on the sofa, PJs on, glass of wine, and just escape for an hour or two. Um, and our watch list is really varied. We watch anything from, you know, Homeland to Grey's Anatomy to Modern Family. All three of those I highly recommend, by the way. Uh, but one thing we've been really enjoying recently is a series called The Americans. Uh, I don't know if anybody else has seen that. We, if you have seen that, we haven't finished it yet, so please don't spoil it. Don't tell us the ending. I'm getting a few thumbs up and waves from people who've watched that as well. Um, yeah, it's really good. And the, the concept of this of this series is it's a, a Cold War spy thriller. It's set in the, the 80s about a man and a woman from, uh, from Russia. They're Russian agents and they set up and they, they are living in America, living on the face of it, this normal American life. They've got, you know, a family, kids, you know, lovely suburban home, all of that. Um, and then they disappear off in the middle of the night. They're running their intelligence operations. They're going and meeting their contacts and assets. Um, and, uh, and yeah, as you can imagine with these things, it leads to some exciting moments, some thrilling moments. And it leaves us wondering at various points about some of the characters in this series, including the lead characters. It leaves us asking, whose side are they on? Whose side are they on? What's going on here? What's their agenda? Can they be trusted? And uh, you don't need to watch that program to know the sort of thing that I'm talking about, those sorts of questions, do you? Because spy stories are huge. They're, they make massive blockbuster movies. They make millions in the box office. Of course, the most famous, the most popular being Bond, James Bond. Uh, just getting my little audition in for the next James Bond when Daniel Craig steps down. Um, or maybe if there's any kids uh, listening, maybe they like, maybe you guys like as much as my kids do the Johnny English films. Uh, with Rowan Atkinson bumbling his way through trying to, uh, trying to prevent disasters. Um, and our eldest, he loves to read Alex Ryder books um, about a teenage spy. Um, so yeah, it's big business. Um, and it, maybe if movies and TV programs aren't your thing, maybe you enjoy a good John le Carré novel. Um, my dad certainly loves those, and, and, and I've read a few of those as well. But all of these things, they all... They all ask similar questions of the various characters in the storyline, don't they? They, you know, whether it's in a serious or a silly way, they ask, can they be trusted? What's their agenda? Whose side are they on? And these are questions that were thrown at Jesus more than once during his ministry. And in the passage we're going to look at shortly, Jesus is accused by his Pharisee detractors of being some sort of pseudo-double agent. 
in the story, Jesus heals two blind men, and then he heals a man who is demon-possessed and can't talk. The crowd are amazed, as you can expect, but the Pharisees respond by saying, in effect, he's evil. He can't be trusted. They say it, it's by the prince of demons that he's casting out demons. In other words, he might look good. He might sound good. He may seem like the Messiah who's come to heal and restore, but he's actually working for the enemy. He's undercover. He's luring you in. He's just luring you in and he'll take you down. He can't be trusted. He's not on our side. If it was modern times, they'd probably accuse him of having, having a gun hidden beneath his robes and firing poison darts out of his sandals in true Bond villain style. But that's their response to Jesus. So I'm just going to read this story through now. And then what we'll probably do as we unpack it, there's a number of other things that are going on as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll read most of it again as we kind of go through step by step. But you'll find this in Matthew chapter 9. And it's verse 27. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying. And Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. So, and the story kind of ends there. We don't get any more info or, or dialogue or response to Jesus from this accusation. Um, but it seems to have been a, a pretty popular barb of the Pharisees, these ultra-religious law experts who just hated what Jesus was doing. And they repeat it again a bit later on in Matthew chapter 12. And in that bit, Matthew actually records Jesus's response. He fires back firstly by saying, and I'm paraphrasing slightly here, but Jesus says, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. He says, how can I possibly drive out demons if I am one. And then he delivers a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees. He says, you're spouting this nonsense because of the evil in your hearts. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we know from that what Jesus thought of this accusation. We know he had a frosty relationship with the Pharisees generally. And time and time again in this story, countless other times, the Pharisees are trying to disrupt and dissuade people and generally stop people from coming to Jesus. And Jesus scathingly says that the Pharisees are slamming the doors of the kingdom in people's faces. So that's the context. That's the ongoing dialogue and dispute that Jesus and the Pharisees are having. 
But here in that story at the end of chapter 9, I think just the, that little, inc- little inclusion of that text, that, that line from the Pharisees by Matthew, the writer, without any other response or dialogue, I think that's deliberate. Of course it's deliberate. <laughs> you see, we've had, we've had two chapters, haven't we, of incredible stories, wonderful miracles, great encounters with Jesus, all sorts of stuff going on. And we've spent the last few weeks as a church looking at those in turn. If you've missed any of those, I'd really encourage you, you can get on YouTube and look them up and catch up. And then here, Matthew is deliberately picking out a pair of miracles. Because healing the blind and healing the mute, those who can't speak, were so-called messianic miracles. They, They were miracles that the Old Testament had prophesied would signpost the kingdom of heaven, would demonstrate that the Messiah was here. And for the first time in this passage, Jesus is called Son of David, the name given to the Messiah who would come from David's line. You see, Matthew is setting it out in black and white for his first century Jewish audience and also for us. He's saying everything that's gone before, all of these miracles, these incredible goings on, this isn't just some prophet or godly man. This is the Messiah. This is God in our midst. And by contrasting the response of the Pharisees, Matthew is saying to us, what's it going to be, guys? What's your response to him? Are you going to respond like the Pharisees and dismiss? Or are you going to respond like the crowd in amazement and wonder? There's a famous quote from the author C.S. Lewis who says, A man who was merely a man who did the sort of, thing, sort of things that Jesus said and did would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg. I love that bit. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. So I want us to bear this question in mind as we just spend a few minutes unpacking a bit more of this story. This question, what will your response to Jesus be? What will your response to Jesus be? So let's start at the top again and work our way through this story. Verse 27, after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him. Because if you'd heard that the healer was in the area, you'd come. He's just raised a girl from the dead. I can imagine them saying to each other, maybe, maybe he'll heal us. Two. So they followed him, shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David. They went right into the house where he was staying. I love that. I love the audacity there to go straight in, straight into the house. Can you imagine what the responses might have been from the people there? Especially if it was in this country with our Britishness and our certain proper ways. You imagine, get out, you're not welcome here, don't bother us, you're not invited. Or in 2021, you haven't even got a mask on. But I think Jesus 
responds well to a faith that is willing to go beyond the norms of social acceptability. That determination to pursue Jesus and his kingdom power that is willing to go through any door, literal or metaphorical. Willing to risk making people perhaps a little uncomfortable, willing to risk human earthly shame for the sake of seeing kingdom glory. We see it time and time again where Jesus welcomes people who others are trying to hush away. So Jesus asks them, do you believe I can make you see? What a question. Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Now, can I be honest with you? That verse makes me uncomfortable because I don't know what it means. <laughs> there have been thousands of sermons preached on this topic, this verse, and probably the same number of books written again on the subject. And I still don't know what it means for people I know who are still waiting for healing, for situations in my life where I'm still waiting for breakthrough, for times when people I love haven't been healed. So I think there's a danger here that we could interpret this line from Jesus to mean that it's all on us, that if we don't see the healing, if we don't get what we want, it's because our faith wasn't big enough. As if there's some like healing faith bar that we've got to reach in order for God to act. And that's just not true. But there's also a danger that we go the other way, that we dismiss this interaction and we become fatalistic about faith and healing. We say, he'll do what he'll do and it doesn't matter what I think or pray or say or do. And that's not true either. Now, Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and if you don't know how small a mustard seed is, especially kids, ask your parents if they've got any in the cupboard and have a look at just how small that is. Or next time you're in the shop, go to the herbs and spices aisle and have a little look at the mustard seeds. They're tiny. But Jesus said, if you have faith that small, you can move mountains. You don't need some huge, high bar faith. You don't need to bring that sort of faith to the table. Just a tiny amount is all you need. But you need to bring it to the table. Now, I don't know how strong the correlation is between faith and healing. But clearly, there is a relationship between our willingness to take a step to pray a prayer, to be obedient, to go through some doors and seeing his kingdom come. I was reading this week the story of, of Lazarus, Jesus' friend who died, buried in a tomb for, what, four days? And from the interactions between Jesus and the others in the story, Lazarus' family, Jesus' Jesus's other friends, there wasn't a lot of faith on display. Just mourning and frustration and anger. But when Jesus told them to move the stone 
that was guarding the tomb, they still acted and obeyed and did it. They questioned it. If you read that story, it's somewhere in John, I can't remember, but they questioned it, but they still did it, and that was enough. And there's another story that I love of a man who is desperate to see his son healed, and he cries out to Jesus when asked if he believes. He said, Lord, I believe, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So back to this story, what I think Jesus is saying to these men was not that, you know, he'd run the numbers and yes, they passed the faith test. You know, he didn't have the Hogman kids with a little percentage thing. Yes, you've got the right percentage of faith. So tick in a box, we'll heal you. Um, but he said, because, but rather it was like, because you had have some faith, because you are willing to act and follow, you'll see it happen. So what I want to say to you this morning is don't worry about whether your faith is big enough. In fact, if you're worrying about it, then it probably is. But let's simply be people who answer yes time and time again when he asks, do you believe I can do it? Do you believe I can do it? Yes, Lord. So back, back to the story. Jesus opens their eyes. They're healed, they can see. He warns them, don't tell anyone about this. But I love that, as if they can stop themselves, right? So they go out and tell everybody. And when they leave, a demon-possessed man who can't speak is brought to Jesus. Can you see the pattern here of faith snowballing? The blind, we've got the blind men coming to Jesus after hearing about the girl being raised to life. And now this man follows them to the healer. And unlike them, he certainly couldn't have expressed his faith if Jesus had asked him, if he believes. And maybe this morning you feel a bit like, a bit like that, a bit like him. Maybe you feel like you can't express any kind of faith. You can't find the words to say what you feel or what you need or want. You just, you just like, ah, that's all you've got is this cry of cry of frustration so you certainly can't go praying any big high bar faith prayers but Jesus saw him and he healed him and he began to speak and Jesus sees you and he knows your heart and he knows your needs he knows the words that you cannot say and he welcomes you and he just says come to me, come to me, and maybe that's all it'll take. So let that be your mustard seed sized faith, just coming to him, just coming before him in the quiet with no words. So Jesus heals him as well. The crowd are amazed. They say nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. And that's Matthew putting that in there saying, ding, 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 the Messiah's here, everybody. Hello. But the Pharisees still respond as they do. He can, he can only cast out demons because he's empowered by the prince of demons. You see, after all that, after all that that's been going on, they're doing exactly what Jesus said they were doing, trying to slam the door of the kingdom in people's faces. So that's their response, and I don't want to dwell on that any longer. But my question to you is, what is your response to Jesus going to be? 
Are you following him like the blind men? Even in maybe the fog and the uncertainty and the lack of clarity, when you can't see him clearly or your situation clearly or the way to go clearly? Are you declaring your faith and trust in him anyway, saying, I believe you can do this, Lord. I believe you can do this, Lord. And are you bringing people to Jesus in prayer, like the man who couldn't speak was brought to him by his friends, or like the men in the story that we heard a few weeks back who cut through a roof to get their paralyzed friend to the healer who was in the room below? Because in that story, Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. Not his faith, their faith. You know, we've had some difficult medical stuff to deal with in our family the last couple of weeks. And um, honestly, thinking of this story and not seeing the way to go, we can't see what the future looks like and it's it's worrying and it's scary to think about and a lot of the time my my response is not too great as a result and i certainly wouldn't stand here and say that i've responded with any great faith the last few weeks but as I've been pondering over this story and the countless others throughout the Gospels, I've just been reminded to bring my family to him, to the Messiah, the God who heals, and to keep bringing them to him, to smash through roofs and walls to get to him, if that's what it'll take, to cry out to him, to express my trust in him, to, to wrestle and persevere until there is breakthrough. And I know that many of you are also facing difficult, horrible stuff right now, whether that's in your own life or with people that you love, whether it's a health issue or something else. And we can't meet physically and gather around you and lay hands on you and pray for you like we would love to do as a church family. But we can bring all of these situations to Jesus now. And I'd just like us to spend a bit of time doing that. So with the music playing, I just wonder where you are. Can you just start to start to speak out the circumstances, the needs, the people that you know who need Jesus, who need a touch from our healer Messiah. You might want to share some of them in the chat if you're comfortable doing so, and I'm not going to read out any names or situations. But if you're comfortable doing that, let's use that. Let's chat and share some, share some needs. And, and if, you know, if you're reading those, you know, bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. And Jesus, 
I believe, is saying to us, asking us, like he asked those two men all those years ago, do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to do this? Let's respond, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's cry out to him. Maybe for you, maybe for you, that's just a whisper. Yes, Lord. Maybe you need to to shout that out over your circumstances, over what you're facing. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If we were all in the room, this would get really interactive and we'd be, we'd be shouting out, we'd be lifting our voices, we'd be saying, yes, Lord, we believe. Yes, Lord, we believe. So just imagine, imagine you can hear everybody else's voices instead of just mine. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, have mercy on us, Lord. Bring healing, Lord. Oh, we believe. We believe, Lord. Help us overcome our unbelief. We believe, Lord. We believe, Lord. Let's keep praying. Let's keep bringing these situations to the Lord.